Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode. It's brought to you by Beneath. Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H.com. And it's also brought to you by Jackson Row. Vancouver Design Jackson Row clothing caters to a relaxed bohemian lifestyle. Large doses of love go into every single piece, featuring comfortable favorites like sweaters, dresses, playsuits, and even stuff for men and children. Made up of neutral tones and flowy West Coast vibes, Jackson Row uses only the highest quality materials to ensure you stay comfortable and looking great. Check out yours today at jacksonrow.ca and use the code UNITY to help support the podcast. Also brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat flip-flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries. Head over to combatflipflops.com and become part of their unarmed forces. And brought to you by Heads Up Guys. Heads Up Guys is a resource providing men with information and practical tips on how to manage and prevent depression. This is a dedicated online tool to helping men get the help that they need, find someone to talk to, and navigate difficult times. For more information, head over to headsupguys.org. I got the chance to chat with the co-authors of Do the Fucking Work, Lowbrow Advice for High-Level Creativity with Jason Richberg and Brian Burge. And these guys are also the co-owners of an incredible company called Good Fucking Design Advice. And they have worked with everybody from Apple to Nike, doing workshops, creating incredible work environments, but also helping people to move their company forward and literally do the fucking work. So enjoy. Can you guys introduce your 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 beautiful selves to my listening world of the Brass Muni Podcast? Go for it, Brian. All right, I am Brian Burge. I am the uh, owner and creative director of Good Fucking Design Advice. Yeah. I am Jason Richberg. I am the writer and curriculum director for Good Fucking Design Advice. The name it gets me every time. You you could literally walk into a meeting and go, bam, and I would go, whatever you need. You've got it. Well, responses are often mixed um, whenever we drop that name. So I'm glad it's well received here. Well, you know what? I don't think it's just well received here. but, you know, what we, you know, what we kind of talk about on this show is it's, it, this is going to be well received everywhere. And let me tell you why. Because I have an incredible listening uh, following that is very much in line with the way that you guys think. And when I got this opportunity um, to have you guys on, you know, our podcast is a bit of a mix. We talk to we, we talk to fashion, you know, editor magazines, NFL players to you know, doctors and scientists, and it really comes down to, you know, being, being a type of person who wants to have drive in their life, moving forward with intention and purpose, but also not taking yourselves too fucking seriously. And I love it so much. I think, I think we're a good fit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, and so i that's why i'm saying this is gonna be so well received you know um so we just that's what we talk about we just kind of talk about you know that and you know and then I, I like to pepper in mental health because i think it's really uh 
a bullshit stigma get, get gets left uh, left onto vets and first responders and then just general civilian population that they have this perception that you know someone's depressed it's like we'll move on it's like well I can tell you right now from my amazingly signed copy I was jumping up and down with joy when I got this in the mail boys so I need to tell you this meant a lot to me because you guys look like you've dealt with some shit in your lives that have made you be this fucking awesome. And I think you guys don't even realize how much mental health you guys touch on until it's, it's you know, already published. Like, there's so many things in here that resonate with not only me and people in the mental health community, but also in, like, just general life you guys have had to have gone through some gnarly things and so i guess i'm just gonna start with how did you guys meet and how did the baby get born <laughs> oh, jason where's well, your picture you don't care well, anymore well brian's one of the biological parents so i'll let him start with that <laughs> all right i'll give you that uh all right how did we meet um well, if you're referring to me and Jason Richberg, and really also um, my my co-founder Jason Bacher, who exited the business uh, a number of years ago at this point, um, we all met in graduate school at Kent State University. Um, all of us were studying design, so that is that's the the very very short version of it. Um, I don't do you, do you want like all the details no, around? I got time on time on time you this is okay. all you guys all day until you say i have to go i have got questions okay um god so the i'll talk about myself and jason bacher a bit and how we started the business and then uh jason richberg how about you you can talk about uh how kind of all of our friendships formed in the the house that we lived in does that sound like a plan sounds good all right so, so uh Jason Bacher and I uh, both went to Kent State University for undergrad as well as graduate school. However, we were separated by uh, a year. I was a year ahead of him initially. Um, and what that meant with the program was that we, uh, the way the program's designed is you don't really interact with uh, other class levels so much. So you would know of people in other class levels, but you wouldn't ever end up in the same classes typically, um, at least at that time in the program's history. So. Um, I had taken a year to work professionally and then I came back to graduate school, uh, which is a very condensed version of a, of a extremely long and painful story. Um, but when I came back to graduate school, that meant that he and I were at, in at the same time as he did not take that year long break that I did. Um, and so we loosely knew each other, but um, we became close friends fairly quickly um, and we were like the, we were the only two guys that had come from the um, undergraduate program. So we sort of found friendship in that. Mm -hmm. um, and we were both teaching for the first time in our lives. And uh, one day we were walking back from getting coffee one morning after Jason had uh, finished teaching his morning class. And we were kicking around ideas for how we could engage design students um, in our classes. Because, well, I mean, one, when you're a graduate student, you don't get like the prime uh, class times you're you're like eight o'clock in the evening or seven o'clock in the morning so you're already fighting an uphill battle against uh, attention spans and um 
we, uh, we weren't really serious about the conversation, but we kind of came up with this idea of like, oh, well, we could make a website where students could go and get some sort of design advice. Like maybe they would like upload their work and it would, some magical algorithm would tell them like what they could do or something. And all, I mean, really brilliant ideas that would, you know, never see the light of day. Um, and ultimately, uh, because our skill sets are so diminished, we basically settled on profanity. And uh, we thought, well, we could build this website that has like design based axioms, like make it fucking bold, make the logo fucking smaller, whatever. And, you know, including the, the profanity as a way of getting attention. Um, and so we went and we built the site uh, the following for the rest of the day and launched it that evening with like nine to five work hour, basically. And um, and we, we had no, it was just funny to us, like a couple of 10 year old boys. And we didn't really take it seriously. We weren't trying to make a business out of it. Um, it was, it was largely a response to the stress of graduate school and teaching and everything. And it was just a fun thing to do for the day and to waste eight hours on and, you know, sort of be done with. But um, we launched it and the first day we had uh, 500 visitors. And then the next day we had like 6,000. What? How? And then the next day we had 70,000. And What? Yeah, exactly. We were like, what What the fuck did we How did I, how? How? It's, it's the viral nature of the internet, even oh in 2010. So, um, so, I mean, we were like shocked. We, I mean, the only we, reason we knew that is because we had hooked up Google Analytics. And, you know, I mean, it, admittedly, even the first day we were like, this can't be right. Like, yeah. it can't be. But then we started getting tons of emails um, some hate mail and some, uh, you know, like fan mail and then people asking for products. And, you know, so here we are at the, basically on the on, at the onset of graduate school. And we're like, well, I guess we could try to make some products and figure this out. So, so we, we proceeded, we, we like, we faked a, a store page with, um, you know, photoshopped images of what posters would look like and what t-shirts <laughs> yes. would look like. Um, and we did a pre-sale and we were able to get about $10,000 in revenue to produce the products. Although anybody that was buying had no idea that we had zero capital to invest. It was all entirely based on what they wow. paid for so that we could do it. Um, and, and yeah, that was, that was kind of how things started. It was, it was never, like I said, it was, wasn't supposed to be a business. It was very much uh, a side kind of thing that just turned into a business slowly, but surely. And, um, as the first few years kind of went by, uh, Jason and I both at the time had been doing our own freelance practice. And, um, you know, slowly we, we integrated that into GFDA, initially just us working together, uh, which you think we would have figured out pretty quickly, but it took us about two years before we started sharing work. Um, and then um, as GFDA kind of grew in uh, popularity and uh, status, then it started to become okay for us to pitch work as good fucking design advice as opposed to like, oh, we're Brian and Jason and we're two graduate students that, you know, freelance yeah. together. Um, but it took, uh, I mean, it's, it's still obviously can be a barrier to entry. Um, but it, it, it took a little bit before that was acceptable and mm -hmm. to some extent. Um, that's kind of the, that's a short summary. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I had like, I've gotten so many questions, uh, based off just that alone, which is kind of ridiculous. When you guys met, was it, was it true love at first sight or was this like you guys had to like, Learn to love. Uh, 
Man, that's a good question. I, I think it was a little bit more along the lines of love at first sight. I mean, we, um, I mean, there was something about perhaps a bit arrogantly so like being a Kent student that had gone from the undergrad to the grad program um, with a little bit of an elitist attitude, probably again, a, a bit of a youthful arrogance there, but you know, it was like the, the undergraduate program was really rigorous at Kent. And so we were very familiar with what it was like to be in studio classes where the critiques of the work were very harsh and very direct and like nobody was beating around the bush and if your work wasn't up to snuff like somebody would tell you and yeah. you know um tears were not uncommon and things like that so it's like having survived that crucible although you know not together but we we found a camaraderie in that um shared experience um, and so that was we had a mutual respect for each other right from the get-go um that then translated into a mutual respect as we were experimenting with GFDA and you know how how it was evolving in the first few years. You guys, <clears throat> sorry, did you guys when you guys started this when you kind of started to realize that you had something here, was that a moment of like okay this wasn't intentional but were, were either one of you or any, all three of you were was there any point where you're like yeah maybe not like how long really truly did it take before the word fuck in your book wasn't a thing i mean you guys are published by harper collins like that's anybody who's listening who I, I can guarantee even if you don't read books you've heard of harper collins and there's a reason for it and they're one of the biggest publishers out there and so i mean that i had briefly mentioned this to to the man in the dark there that I had a book coming out and it was supposed to come out this November. And I was talking to him about the process of you guys publishing and how that all went. And it was, I found it really fascinating, but they said to me, you know, at first, like I swore a lot in my book, like a, like a lot, but this, this, this takes the cake guys. So <laughs> how long did that take before they, people started actually to take that seriously? Uh uh i mean i don't know that they've started to take it seriously yet <laughs> I, think but, the, um, I think the so the brian i think the um telling the part of the story about some of the notoriety from some celebrity purchases is probably what opened that door in a lot of ways yeah i think um i think that it, it was a couple things certainly certainly the the celebrity uh nods um or, which started happening fairly early on um and i can talk about those momentarily um and then also just like that we've been around like we sort of a indefatigable effort that you know it's been 10 years now and, and we're still around and we've slowly uh but surely amassed a following and uh respectable clients and things and so like once you start getting some of those celebrity nods and the respectable clients then you end up with um, you, you like people start to perceive you differently and you yeah. it's no longer just like, Oh, they're just, you know, using profanity for attention and there's no real substance to their content or, or some of those um, more early criticisms that we received from various detractors. But um, like early on uh, after we had had at least our initial flash in the pan moment, um, there were a few like celebrity nods that occurred. I think one of the first ones was, with Ashton Kutcher because he was Ooh. involved somehow with um, Ooh. let's pause. No, you you need to pause for that for a moment. Okay. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. I didn't know about the celebrity stuff, guys. Like legit. Like I've I've been following your stuff, and my I found out about you guys through my husband because he has the do fucking you know your big beautiful poster. He has it in yeah. his office, and I remember when he moved into that office, he's like, "Wait till you see what I have coming," and because I was in the military and I served with only men, and men say fuck like it is their like that's all they say, and so I swear a lot. And that's harsh, hard for a lot of people to hear someone pocket-sized just being fuck. Like it's just I don't get taken as seriously. And so I'm sorry, Ashton Kutcher. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, he was. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna like maybe take the air out of your sails a little bit, but uh, so he was involved with the website in the early 2010s called Fab.com, mm-hmm. um, which was when there was like this huge explosion of. Um, Oh, what were they called? Flash sale websites. Um, And so I don't know if he was like an investor or something, but he was, he was somehow related to fab.com. And so when Christmas came around that year, we had been, um, fab had been buying for us for a period of time. I can't remember how long before or after, but roughly about 18 months when fab was like really popular and making a shit ton of money, they were buying from us regularly. Um, And so they, he had his like Christmas list, list of like the top 10 things to buy wow. and our poster was on that list somewhere. And if I remember correctly, um, it, you know, they were all things that were for sale on fab because of whatever his connection to that was. Who cares what the connection was? That's what you, you forget. Like, I'm sorry, sweetie, but who cares? Because I've had uh, my bouts with that, with some celebrities and you don't give a shit because if, if it, all you should care about is the fact that it came out of his mouth and you yep. can use that to market that. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. Um, a few others are um, like the biggest one is Johnny Ive, um, the former chief design officer from Apple. Um, wow. We, he had bought early on, like I think it was maybe 2011 or 2012, he had bought the poster for himself. And then we received an email from his executive assistant shortly thereafter, um, asking to buy framed posters for like all of his senior design staff, like a dozen or so people. Um, and that was really awesome. We were like, you know, we shared that privately among friends, but it was, you know, it's like somebody's customer information. It's not like. You can't, unless they give you permission to use it as a marketing tool. There's a, you know, it's not like the Ashton one where they put it out. Right, right, exactly. But then in, um, in 2015, in February, the New Yorker did an article about uh, Apple and specifically Johnny Ive um, that was like, I don't know, 10 pages long. Um, and in it, the, the person who wrote the article referenced that in his office, in Johnny's office, he had two prints, one of which was a Banksy print and the other was ours. And so then all of a sudden it was like, you know, every, every clickbaity website was like, check out this poster that's in Johnny Ives office. And so we went, I mean, this is when we were still doing our own fulfillment out of the basement of a rental property in Northeast Ohio. And so we went from like, ah, you know, a couple like handful (laughs) of orders a day, like five orders a day. And for a sustained period of like three months, it was like dozens or hundreds of orders a day. And like 
our friends that worked for us and helped us do fulfillment that were, you know, students or fellow graduate students, whatever. I mean, we were just like overwhelmed and we had so many angry customers because we just couldn't keep up with the demand. We were constantly out of stock and everybody wanted framed posters. And uh, uh, Jason, my, my former business partner, his father did all of the framing by hand. He has a small like paint oh. wallpaper and glass store 40 minutes away. Oh. And so he would like drive his, uh, his van out like once a week on Fridays and drop off like, a hundred framed prints and yeah. then we would like pack them up all throughout the next week and send them out and packing up framed prints like with regular prints you just roll them but with framed prints it's like you got to put corner protectors on a wrap it and bubble wrap and like all it's such a long process oh my god that just made me think when you when you when you reference that timeline that's when brady opened his office he was one of those customers because oh, okay. i remember and the reason i know is because he was like it's coming it's coming I remember that. Oh my God, I'm one of those people. Good, good. Well, see, it continues to pay dividends all the way, you know, five, six years later. You're damn right it did. My God. So, well, I let, so I think with that, I think uh, Jason should talk a little bit about uh, our experience with the house that we all lived in and uh, worked out of, and then how he got involved uh, initially indirectly with GFDA for a number of years and now directly. Yes, super directly. All right, so um, it's going to be like a murder mystery. We're going to go back in time and tell another perspective on the story. Yes. Uh, except nobody got murdered, except oh. a bunch of people's delicate sensibilities. Oh, um, some trees. So some trees. A lot of trees, by the looks of it. So when um, I, I I went to my undergrad at a different design school here in South Carolina, but I went to Kent State for graduate school and um. Brian had been there already in the program, I think, for a few months, and but I came in in the same group of people that Jason Bacher did. So we're all kind of arriving at grad school together, and um, uh, I got—I didn't know anybody in Ohio, so I, I made the grievous error of uh, moving into dorms in grad oh. school. And I was—I was put in a freshman dorm, <laughs> and my uh, room was right beside the main door with the big giant aluminum doors that slam in and out as yes. people went to smoke cigarettes by my window all night. So, um, and, J and Jason was, I just want to point this out in case people are just listening to the podcast. Jason was 30 at the time. So imagine being like <laughs> a 30 year old male adult with like 18 year old freshmen, like completely unacceptable. And I'm also, so uh, very impatient and prone to share my unvarnished opinions with people. So, it was in everybody's best interest that um, that situation changed. So I rallied some of the grad students together and um, we, we went to rent a house together. And um, ironically, there were four of us, three of us were named Jason and one of us was named Brian. So we called it, called it, we called ourselves um, Jason, Jason, Brian and Jason. And, um, so we, we just got together, found this house. It was, it was totally dilapidated. Uh, my, the way I describe it to people is it, it had the um, uh, atmosphere of an abandoned hunting lodge where somebody had been squatting to cook meth. And um, there were, there were bloodstains on the floor that which we oh later verified God. were actual bloodstains. Uh, when we went to look at the house, the, guy who owned it was in California and was a total like flake and uh he um I was talking to him on the phone trying to negotiate this and he was saying well you know I'm just gonna let you know if you plan on um selling drugs out of the place I got the neighbor watching it 
So, you know, that set the tone. That set the tone, the tone. For, what, for what we were getting into. So, anyway, we ended up renting this house, and we spent um, several months starting in November of 2010 totally refinishing the house. We, we repainted everything. We refinished the floors. We did a certain amount of um, light remodeling in certain areas. The, the walls were filled with holes and doors were ripped off hinges. And it, as we describe in the book, for any of your listeners, they want to hear a very funny story. You should follow it there. But um, we came together and, and Brian and Jason Bacher and I and um, refinished this house together. and We became roommates. And this is all sort of happening right around the time that GFDA is, um, I may not have the timeline perfectly correct here, Brian, but this is all happening about the time the GFDA is coalescing and being the spark is happening. And um, so in very short order, GFDA went from some random website to taking over the entire basement of this house that we were sharing. And it was like a design studio in one half of the basement and a, like a complete fulfillment center in the other half of the basement. And yep. this is a process of years that this happened, but um, the, the business was really born there. And it, that was the, that defined the sort of um, gorilla, just make it happen. We can do anything attitude of GFDA because it came from nothing and everything was handmade and um, you know, fake it till you make it was, wasn't a motto. It was, uh, it was in the DNA. So um, my role there was just, I, I refer to myself as um, GFDA's cool uncle. Um, yeah. I, they, Brian, and, Brian and, and, and Bacher had the burden of all the stress and all the hard work. And I would just sort of pop in and get to go to an event here and there, get a free t-shirt or a free piece of swag that they got from somebody. And um, I, wrote a, I wrote for them a little bit in those days, piecemeal. I wrote some original web copy and, if you, um, anybody visits our page, we have the GFDA pledge. I wrote that and wrote a, a couple pieces of merchandise. But anyway, it was, it was really, um, my, my role was officially very minimal. And so um, when grad school was over, GFDA sort of um, did some restructuring on their own. And um, Jason Bacher went to Brooklyn. Brian stayed in Kent to sort of um, transition the business into something um, with an external fulfillment, so we weren't tied to that house anymore. And I went out to become a college professor. And um, being a teacher is something, it's an endeavor that I consider to be a sacred duty. And it's something that I took very seriously, and I was very good at it. And that made me incredibly unpopular with the bureaucratic administration in higher education. Either. So I went to two different institutions and uh, basically pissed off everybody and um, sort of rage quit those two places and left smoldering rubble in my wake. Not you. And um, Yeah, and uh, got very, I sort of became disenchanted with that, and I decided I was just going to go live as cheaply as possible and work in a grocery store somewhere. And um, this was about uh, 2016, 2017. And so GFDA had just come off of taking um, – a tour of some European countries and they were at this place where they had had this really big popularity and were trying to legitimize in um, some other areas that I'm sure we'll get into as we keep talking. And then there was this kind of lull professionally because Jason Bach was in Brooklyn 
and he was mostly working as an independent creative director. Brian was sort of wandering the earth and um, had returned to his hometown of Pittsburgh. And he was um, doing, he was doing his GFTA duties and some freelance stuff full time. And about that time, Jason Bacher decided that he no longer wanted to um, be a part of GFTA. So he left the business and that put the sole ownership of the business on uh, Brian's shoulders. And fortunately for all of us, they are very steady shoulders because he took on a massive amount of debt himself and he alleviated all the business's debt, squared everything up. Got every got the ship righted and began to set a new course for GFDA. And he's not going to brag on himself, so I'm going to brag on him for Did him. It. He, um, you know, he he was already a, a truly gifted uh, designer and just an incredibly noble, likable person by everybody who's ever met him. But he also became an accountant. He also became a, a business person. He really had to sort of um, go into the guts of GFDA and learn it from the ground up because there were a lot of things that weren't his responsibility previously that he had to take on for himself. So um, at that time, I decided to, I didn't have any real place to go. So I asked Brian if he, you know, needed any help or anything. And he brought me on and I moved to Pittsburgh. And um, to make a long story short, right about all this time is when the book deal was finalized by HarperCollins. And so they had already been negotiating and that sort of thing, but it hit. And um so the idea at that time was that uh, Jason Bacher would do the design and layout for the book. Brian would write it. And then I would sort of pitch it wherever they needed me. Mm-hmm. And um, we started with that process with Brian working on the first chapter. And we got about a thousand words into it after um, uh, I'd say about a week of him sending me stuff. And then I would have deleted and rewritten everything that he sent me. Mm-hmm. So um, we decided I would just write the book at that point. And uh, so I, for the next 18 months, I worked full time writing the GFDA book and helping shore up our strategy for uh, promoting the book and that sort of thing. And last, last year, 2019, um, we, were, we, we finished the book and it was preparing to launch on December 31st of 2019. So we were done earlier in 2019 and we took on this, um, we, we had this idea for launching and promoting the book by building up our social media following. And in March of 2019, we had 25,000 Instagram followers. So, and that was 25,000 Instagram followers that had been built between 2013 and 2019. Okay. So, um, I, that in the summer of last year, um, I began running the Instagram and I began writing these short little paragraphs to go with the GFDA advice. Previously, the Instagram was just work fucking harder and that was all you got. Then I began writing these short paragraphs to go with it. And our goal was to have 40,000 followers by the end of 2019 for the book launch. I don't remember when we hit 40,000, but it was before the summer was over. And wow. by the launch, we had 80,000 followers and the book launched and um, it was it was pretty well received. And um, we continued down this path with some global events disrupting us along the way, which is a, another sort of tangent we can go into. Oh, yeah. And today we have um, we're today we're pushing to 229,000 Instagram followers. 
Um, what do we have on Facebook, Brian? I forget. Is it 40? Uh, it's somewhere between 40 and 50. Um, yeah. So yeah. like 45,000 Instagram followers, uh, in the neighborhood of 30,000 subscribers to our newsletter. And now we're starting to work on some other platforms as well. So, um, that is, that's to, to, to not get lost in rabbit trails. That is my part of GFBA. And so now I work full time as the writer, uh, content creator and, um, I, I do a lot of work for our corporate workshop series, which we can also talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Holy Toledo. That's so that's essentially two very different versions of the same story with like the best twists in it. I appreciate both, both views. I think one is always more colorful than the other. And I can tell that the writing cut where the writing comes from. I think that's, um, those little blurbs that you put on Instagram, those things are legit. Like those, they're not just, you know how you people you see these memes go up and they're like, you know, like feel good about yourself, like live your best life. It's like, you know, all doing all these things, but the, you read yours and there's so much substance within these and they are more than just, um, you know, a post with um, writing on it. They're more than just, um, you know, advice. It's there. It's real advice with serious substance. And do you think that kind of comes from being having the background as a professor, though? Possibly. Um. Well, yes and no. Uh, it comes from the background of. So I'm. I'm not. I don't want to get um, too bogged down in this right now. But um, I come from rural South Carolina, and um, I grew up without any awareness or respect for education and that's kind of definitive of my, my family life and culture here is that education was a bit suspect and um, I, I was sort of on this destiny here to um, wind up working in a factory and you know getting a little trailer and and uh, spitting out a few little redneck kids and <laughs> Um, you know, working in an industrial plant until yeah. I died from some mysterious disease I got from doing that and ruined my yeah. body. And, and um, there was a, you know, I, I just didn't fit the mold. And I was really an outcast in my culture here. And my whole life, I was always, I, I was always like, more interested in, in the world I saw in movies and, and that sort of thing. And when I was in high school, I stole a book from the library. Um, oh, I stole uh, the complete works of Shakespeare from the library. I don't know why I stole it, because they give you books for free at the library, but... Um, <laughs> because you know, it's I, good. Yeah, I, I guess I was just disruptive. But um, so at this, I, I, at this world was like opened up to me when, when, with reading Shakespeare. I didn't really understand most of it, but the language of it was just, um, it made me sort of like, the, the world I lived in in my day life, I was a, I was an athlete and I was doing a ton of drugs and I got suspended from school like nine times my senior year of high school and I failed every year of high school. I, I had a 0.97 GPA when I left high school and um, and I just really was like anchored to this dark path through life of just of wasting wasting an existence. But these little things like that book of Shakespeare and as, and as my path went on that sort of dark direction, these little um, peaks of, of literature would sort of drop into my lap and I would read them and it slowly began to change my internal world. And that internal world 
as time passed, pushed out and pushed through the dark surface. And I, I was driven to go back and finish my education. And I was driven to do more, driven to do more. I was driven to go to grad school, uh, uh, discover teaching in grad school. I, I, had a, I had a natural way of impacting people's lives with my words. So that's what pushed me to become a professor. And that's why it was so sacred to me, because I understood the power of transformation that could occur in a young person's life. And, um, you know, I had a lot of dark days, which I think is going to be poignant to other parts of your subject matter for your podcast. And um, work, having to sort of reclaim a life from that, mm-hmm. um, I had to do a lot of work and I had to, I had to discover the, the truth of myself. And that's what has molded me into a writer, I think. And, um, but it, what the difference I would make is that the, the contribution that Brian and Jason Bacher made was there's a certain practical aspect to the base advice of GFDA of like mm-hmm. the entrepreneurial spirit and going out and working hard and just taking ownership of your life and being responsible. There's a practical aspect of that that I never really had. And I sort of came in and gave a deeper meaning and sort of uncovered the, the, the depths underneath the surface of those ideas. And that's why I think it ended up being a good partnership. Just that? Nothing else? Holy Jesus. I That's, wow. I, I think there are so many times in when I started this business, like that wasn't supposed to be a business, that wasn't supposed to be anything, and never was trying to. And I, everything you guys stand for means so much to me. And I know there were so many times when I wanted to give up and fail. And I, I your posts and, and, reading these have made a huge impact. And I think that, that, like I said, that comes from this uh, understanding of what it truly means to to struggle and, and really try and have to push forward in order to have a better life for themselves or, you know, just stand outside the mold. You don't have to always be exactly like everybody else around you. And, and that's totally okay to be different and to be unaccepted at first, but it seems like it's worked out pretty well for you. Now you, you know who I'm looking at. I'm looking right at that head. Yeah, that's right. I'm looking right at you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't even know how I'm. I'm. When you started this and you really taught yourself everything, you really are what you call the true entrepreneur into something. And I guess for me, watching you do this, there had to be times for you where you really truly felt like. Did, could, did you ever have that time when you felt like this couldn't, I can't do this anymore. It's not, we're not going to make pay. Like, what was that like for you growing this? Cause it boomed so quickly. Like once it hit. Uh, hmm. I mean, there have definitely been times, um, throughout the history of GFDA that have been like, Oh my God, like, how is this going to work out? Mm-hmm. Um, that I mean, especially when uh, when my business partner Jason left, and we were in debt, and it was just like it was as it was very very it was a very very low point. I mean, the previous low points um, by comparison were like oh, we don't have enough money to pay salaries this month. Like, okay, well, glad I've got a little bit of savings, right? Yeah, um, right. Yeah. But but when he left, and we're like in debt, and it's like okay, well you know, we, he and I shared creative responsibilities fairly evenly, um, with the business, but, uh, administratively we had very different roles. Like I was in charge of everything related to, 
um, customer service and orders and fulfillment and working with our fulfillment center that is now in Florida. Um, and his was like more along the lines of like the finance administration type stuff, bookkeeping, okay. et cetera, and working with our uh, then accountants and everything. And so, um, you know, when he left, it was just like one, like, oh my God, he's gone. So there goes like 50% of the, the workforce. Um, and so like doubled creative effort. And then also like, like, it's not like I wasn't completely unfamiliar with the finances, but it's, you know, it wasn't my responsibility day in and day out. And so it was like, okay, well, I need to learn about all of this. I need to like understand it way better. Um, and so it was just like this, it felt, um, I don't, it, it, it felt like an insurmountable task and to be negative um, financially was, was also just like, am I, you know, when he left, there was the discussion was, it, it wasn't like a bad uh, breakup or anything. Like we still have a good oh, relationship, obviously. Like, I mean, we wrote the book together and, and everything yeah. else, even after he had departed. So it wasn't like that, but it was like, we had this conversation. And it was like, do we still want to do this? Um, and, you know, his answer was no. And for me, it was like, yes, I still think that there's something here. And we certainly, I mean, like anybody, like you're, any relationship, you're going to have conflicts about like, what's sure. the direction we're going to take this thing. Um, and so we had certainly been having our fair share of that the, the previous uh, at least year or two. Um, but, but then it was like, okay, well, am I making this mistake of taking this on and like there's, there's, there's no clear pathway for how money's going to come in. And, you know, like loosely our agreement was like, I'll just take all of this and I'll handle the debt. And then like you, you don't. You're, you're bought out in a way to deal. So you're just kind of, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. So, um, so, I mean, that was terrifying, but, um, I, I will quote my, uh, my martial arts teacher who, uh, I, it's like from his great aunt or something, but must do is a good master. And so it was just this, like, I, it was just the scenario of like, it just has to get done. Like I, there were, there, I didn't, it felt insurmountable, but it was also like, there's just no choice. Like I yeah. decided I'm going to do this and it's, has to work out. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I, I said yes to this decision and this path and, you know, um, I'm going to make it work. Wow. That's, that's like the definition of what it takes to get literally anything done. And I, I heard somebody say recently that it was, um, entrepreneurs that make it through are just people who don't quit. And I, I feel like that's, that's like the truest, uh, the truest sense of for you guys. I mean, you guys were Wow. I mean, when I think about back when you, you've said so many things that I'm just kind of like, my brain is going, bleh, 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 bleh. I'm hearing murder house, murder house in my brain. It's I can't, I'm thanks. Thanks for that. That's you guys throw me, you threw me off. I got, I didn't expect some of these things. And I'm, I'm so glad I got some of these things out of you guys, because I, um, your story, just the way that you just described it, I got thrown back into my own journey and because it was it's so similar and it's so, it's so honest and so truthful and I'm just sorry I'm just totally thrown off but I'm kind of caught off guard because I you know when you say I've had a, a company do well or I've had a company blow up because of a celebrity or, or something like that it's always hard because you don't know if that's going to be a blip or if you're going to continue with that um, stretch so when you're you know if you have that second you know in the fire and you get this kind of boom you got those three months of orders coming in and now you've got this influx of cash and you start planning you start moving things 
if you still have debt, you still have debt there and that's still stressful and that's still, you know, something that was held over your head and you were able to find your way out of it. You were able to grow from it and you were able to accept all of that bullshit that was kind of, you willingly put on yourself, but you willingly put it on yourself, whether you like it or not, that was your responsibility. How many years in is it now? And what is your, what is your company grown to? Are you guys willing to talk about that? Um, yeah, so it, we are at 10 years and a few months. We were, uh, September was our 10 year anniversary, okay. um, which we didn't really like celebrate. We like, we put a social media post out, but it's, you know, it's 2020. So our plan is that next year we'll, we'll say it's our 10 year plus one anniversary oh, and, like uh, ham it up that way. Um, yeah. So, um, what was the rest of your question? Sorry. So it was like, no, just where you're at now. I mean, if you've, you've got, you know, you got 10 years, I would just want to know, are you willing to talk about where the company's at now? Because before, I mean, I always like to give perspective because you literally went from one day on your website and then to another and then boom, and now it's your whole basement. And I know what that feels like. And so that's why I'm like, when you went from, from that basement to when you've been successful now, where does that take the company? Like, where is it sitting at now after all of that? Um, so, so yeah, so it was our basement. And then, um, like Jason mentioned, um, when Jason Bacher moved to Brooklyn, I spent a year in Kent and researched like fulfillment options. And then we went to a separate fulfillment center excuse me, which um, saved a lot of uh, stress and headache. And, you know, it's like a scalable solution. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but, but also like that was kind of like the, the pinnacle of like the first run of GFDA, like when all of that was happening, like especially his initial uh, year in New York, we were making some good connections and things like we were, that was like the height of our initial popularity, I would say. Um, and then it started to, to you know, we kind of got all these things in place and then it started to wane. And then he and I had different opinions about how the business was going to go. And then we started to, you know, we, we never operated much in debt. I mean, we had like a line of credit, but we yeah. weren't like in debt, in debt. Um, and then that slowly kept creeping up. And then we were like having months where it's like, okay, there's not enough money for, for paychecks. Like yeah. hope that, hope you saved enough money to pay your credit card bill or like pay rent or whatever. Um, and then, you know, and then he d departed and it was like, okay, well, like it's time to ramp this up. So, um, that period that started in, uh, towards the end of 2017 and lasted, um, for about, um, probably about 18 months roughly, um, until I took us from being negative, uh, to being stable, to be, to being at zero. Um, and so during that time, that was when Jason Richburg joined and um, I just went out to my personal and professional network and I got as much help as I could for everything. So um, we traded, we did a workshop for uh, a studio in the Pittsburgh area where, where I live now um, mm -hmm. that I had done an internship with when I was in college and had a good relationship with. Um, and we did that in exchange for the, um, the one partner um, who's the business and finance guy. Um, I said, you know, I want you to mentor me. Like I need to understand yeah. my finances and where we went wrong and how we can push things I'm forward. And, it again. <laughs> right. So, so basically, so we did that like day long workshop for them. And then, you know, he, he mentored me and still does. I mean, I, I don't need his help as much, but it was like for an initial, like two, three months, it was like every few weeks I would come and like, like, here's the spreadsheet. Here's how I laid this out. Yeah. Does this make sense? This is where this is going. Oh, hey, I found out like, you know, here's a place where we're losing money and we don't need to be and kind of going over all of that. Um, so th that was one aspect. The other aspect was um, reaching out to like professional contacts that like 
any extra work that we could take on in terms of like the design studio aspect of the business. Um, so from a product end, it was like, okay, well, let's make sure that we're not losing money every month on sales, which in some instances we were. Um, from the studio aspect, it's like, okay, let's try to get as many clients as possible, say yes to anything and like try to fill in the gaps. And also the, the one major thing was our workshops. We had just before Jason Bacher left, we had done uh, risk-taking workshops with Nike. And um, so we leveraged that uh, to get new workshops. Um, and that was kind of part of my like pay the debt off strategy. So we went really hard on like marketing and advertising those like through our social media and newsletter, et cetera. Um, and so throughout 2018, we had picked up a handful of workshops, um, some with like smaller studios and agencies. Like we did uh, a couple in Europe early in 2018. And then also um, uh, like Adobe, we got to work with. I saw and that. Uh, a couple others that escaped me uh, off the top of my head. But um, anyways, at the end of that, at the end of 2018, I actually just saw on the calendar that like December 18th, 2018 is marked as the day that GFDA was debt free. So from like, oh, congratulations, man. from the, from like uh, August of 2017, when Jason left to December is like, that was like nonstop, just go crazy. Um, and in that period of time was also when we got the, the book contract with Harper Collins and then started the initial writing and designing process. Um, so then in 2019 and 2020, it was like, you know, 2019 started and quite frankly, like I was exhausted because it was everything I could do to get us from negative to zero. And like, you know, great, that's an accomplishment, but then you're still at zero, still at right? Zero. It's like, it's like you dug yourself out of the pit, yeah. but now you've got to climb the mountain. Yeah. So, you know, we've been climbing the mountain since. Um, and, you know, the book launch occurred and that was kind of like our initial strategy for like, okay, you know, we, we get picked up some additional like client work and um, sales are increasing. And then we've got this book and it's this like legitimacy, this notoriety, this major publisher, all of those things. And our plan was to continue with um, the, the workshops and the lectures that we've been doing through 2019. But now we have this book backing us and now we have this reach and, you know, theoretically now all of these people that are not part of our uh, audience are going to see us and be interested in this. Um, and that was certainly the case for like the first two months of 2020, like before COVID hit, because I mean, we had talked with uh, at least a dozen and a half different um, companies, studios, agencies, uh, different places in different countries we were going to be in like six different countries and these major corporations and you know we were in very serious planning phases for all of that starting you know like april may june oh, wow. and then it was like oh we're gonna postpone oh we're gonna postpone and then you know we all know the story of where that went yeah. so um that was that was uh i mean everybody's had a rough year so you know it, it is what it is but you it know, was like really still allowed to acknowledge it man it doesn't make it any lesser any you know you're of course you're allowed to acknowledge it if it's rough on you yeah yeah it was just it was just fucking terrible it's like ah, oh, god like we've got we've come so far yeah. and like this this like pinnacle moment for like the opportunity for success and to turn this all around and to like hopefully have some sort of like windfall not even necessarily financially but certainly financially well, but yeah. um sort of like the rug taken right out from underneath us. So yeah, the, um, travel, the travel restrictions were really like um, the, the perfect, perfectly aimed shot to the heart of GFDA at that moment. Same. Yeah. Same. Yep. So um, that forced Jason and I like after, I mean, it took us like, you know, two to three months before 
it was clear like okay well we're totally fucked yeah here. this isn't happening <laughs> we yeah, all had um, hope for like a couple months we're like two more weeks two right, more right, weeks right. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're like it's december it's december <laughs> Some of us are like that. Some of us uh, would express that sentiment a little differently. Oh, no, I, I express it in this motion. I'm giving the world the fingers. You know, oh, this is my favorite yeah. one. I just want to do this to 2020. Yeah. Bye, bye, bye. But uh, so that I think that, uh, you know, if you want to look for the, the silver lining in this, um, it, it was good because that approach certainly was was on its way to being successful, but it wasn't grounded in uh, a, like a solid business plan and a yeah. foundational um, like building block idea of like, how are we gonna grow this business? What are the strategies and tactics that we're using? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had started, you know, um, stumbling into that with the social media through, through Jason's efforts, but it hadn't touched the rest of the business. So over the summer and, you know, all the way up until now, it's been a lot of planning and strategizing and, making very deliberate efforts and looking for specific areas of growth and how are we going to build our audience and how are we going to expand product lines and how are we going to communicate with the world, like what it is that we want better and um, all, all sorts of stuff along those lines. Um, and so that I feel that while we're not exactly where we were hoping we were going to be because of COVID, I feel like we've built over the last six months a really rock solid foundation that we're building up from and that in the next six months um we're gonna do some shit god i just i okay first off number one didn't know you were doing consulting so immediately hiring you um absolutely I, everybody I, else should as well oh don't don't trust don't don't you worry i don't know i'm gonna show you when we're done this episode what the studio looks like but your book is on my desk always in front of the camera at all times. And I don't know how many times I reference this is like, you guys think that people just say this shit to like impress you. But the thing is, is there is such intense amount of advice in uh, deliberate advice, uh, intentional, caring, loving. So I'm just looking at it as I'm talking it. So you guys have such um, substance and I don't even know if that's a big enough word for me to use for that because it that book does have so you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of like a modern it makes me feel good like chicken soup for the soul used to make me feel good like when I am having the time I open this book and it kicks me in the ass and that's what I need to then go it's all right, I'm gonna figure this out. I got this problem, it's okay, I'm gonna figure it out. Like, I don't have payroll, we'll figure it out because it has to work because that's just how, you can't not. I don't know how people just roll over and let, you know, there's an, you know, there's a time where you can, in this time you can fix your business and some people can't. And it's unfortunate to watch we're losing so many different businesses on, you know, all different levels. But I just don't know how people, I can't, I could not, if somebody told me to shut my doors, I wouldn't. I would be the person on the news because I'm not losing what I've worked for. And it sounds like the foundation you guys have laid over that very, very short period of time as well is, is insane. And it must feel on some level, you know, hopefully with 2020, you know, coming to an end and not going very much into 2021, you know, that must feel good knowing that you're, you kind of are safe right now for however yeah, long. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, you know, fortunately, the business model that we have and the way that we operate does not necessitate any us to close in any capacity. Yeah. Um, so that's been lucky. Um, and it also like one of like my guiding tenants has always been with GFDA for years and years and years is like diversify revenue streams because inevitably things are going to fall off. And this, this I've always felt very strongly, even before getting all the advice and learning all the things in the last couple of years that I have, it's like, you need to have multiple ways of making money. And, you know, like GFDA is kind of, it's one of the things that's been really frustrating about GFDA is there's nothing else that's really like it. Um, So it's really hard to look at other businesses and say like, well, how are they doing that? I mean, there's certainly like small parts. It's, it's not like we're like some sort of like fucking unicorn entirely, but at the same time, like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. It's, it's something outside perspective. Your book. Have you forgotten (laughs) what it says? Yeah. Um, Like who would have published this 20 years ago? Definitely nobody. Even 10 years ago, it would have been a stretch. Who would have published it last year? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was Um, comfortable at that time. (laughs) But, but yeah, so, so for us, it's like, you know, we've got, we've got these different revenue streams and that's part of like a much more deliberate strategy now, but you know, like product sales is one thing. Wholesale is another thing. The workshops are another thing. The lectures are another thing. The studio work is another thing. Um, And, you know, on one hand, you don't want to, the way, the way that we manage that is there's a consistent approach to all of those things in the way that we engage with uh, customers, clients, mm-hmm. people that attend workshops, whatever. Um, and so there's a unification of that um, communication, that, that mm-hmm. approach. Um, but you, but again, you also want to be careful that you don't become like jack of all trades, master of none. Um, and so that's been a delicate balancing act where it's like, we don't want to do anything mediocre, but you know, we, we are able to do a couple of things really damn well. Yeah, that's obvious. And it, it makes sense. Go ahead, Jason. Um, so I, I think the punctuation for, to actually answer your question, Kelsey, is that, um, we're currently in plans to relaunch the brand in, in the second quarter of next year. You know, good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Um, that's, what we're, that's where we are right now. And um, we're going to launch an entirely new line of apparel with a, a different perspective. We're changing the way our um, product lines are organized, and we're going to provide a lot more diversity and accessibility to that. And we've grown the studio to be – a full service branding and advertising studio with a relatively large team. And, um, you know, all people were that we work very closely with and have known for many years and, um, workshops are still, uh, you know, it's workshop. We love doing the workshops. They're our favorite thing to do. Uh, it's if I think Brian and I both would, would rather just do the workshops for a living and nothing else, but that's, um, that's a little bit precarious. We don't know what the future is going to hold for that. So we had to learn over the course of the past six or seven months to um, what we can be without the thing that we want to do the most and have the confidence and the courage to um, invest our strength in other places. So that's, I think, a a clearer definition of where we are at this exact moment. I just love, oh my God, the the diversity that you put in it. And I I think that's really important to acknowledge is the the diversity that you're talking about um, when it comes to revenue streams and things like that. And that you are seeing people falling off 
and losing their businesses because of that. They're doing the complete opposite. And I and I, I can respect that, you know, you, you don't want to, you know, become a jack of all trades and a master of none. I can totally respect that. I have those thoughts all the time. Am I doing too much? Am I, is, is anything suffering? How do I make sure that every single thing that's coming out of the brand is always going to be, you know, exactly what I want it to be at 100%? And that is always a delicate balance and it scares the hell out of me. And the more and more opportunities you get and the more and more you want to do because you hope it expands the brand, yeah, that's a fearful situation to be in. And it seems like you've balanced it really well. And it, I mean, I've never done one of your workshops and I, I haven't been a consultant, but I can see you on the other end and from a marketing standpoint and even from, you know, there's apparel, you know, accessories. My God, you guys have room to, to grow in, in a completely different area. And that's a whole other animal on its own. And so the it seems like you guys aren't going anywhere and that you guys are gonna be around for quite quite some time and I think something to note and it's you know goes without saying to be able to grow a company um, you know after 2008 recession and then to get hit again in you know 2020 with COVID and watch the economy go to shit all over again it's impressive it shows that there are people out there that are trying to better the world for not even financial reasons, but just better the world so that others don't have to suffer and lose their businesses, diversify, educate, and teach them ways to function and, and uh, grow their companies that is gonna have longevity and have you know a meaningful existence and not just be another brand or another or another company or another, you know, whatever. You know, you guys put meaning behind your words. And I just want to touch on um, quickly on Nike. How when you were talking about leveraging, you know, you've got your friendships, you've got these people, you've got all these things. How the hell does somebody get a, like something like that with Nike? Uh, I saw an eye roll and I feel like I don't know what that eye roll is for. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, um, it's, 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 I don't know. It's, it's. You don't have to talk about it. <laughs> no, no, we, no, we absolutely can talk about it. I got all sorts of fun stuff about that, but it's, it's a combination of, um, uh, I reference my martial arts teacher a lot. One of the things that he says is uh, luck is the intersection point of uh, preparation and opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's luck, but luck is those two things, uh, opportunity and preparation. And so um, in, uh, I want to say 2014, 2015, something like that, um, we had done some things. So we had made a partnership with a uh, a design shop in, in Brooklyn and they were carrying our products. And, you know, that was uh, earlier we were expanding our wholesale, uh, operations. And so that, that was one component of this. And the other component was, uh, a, a gentleman from Nike happened to be in this shop and picked up our, or, you know, he didn't buy our poster. He saw our poster and was like, Oh, that's cool. I want to pick that up at a later point. And so then he is sitting at home trying to figure out how he's going to plan their yearly summit. And uh, it's a week long event. And they usually have uh, one day where they bring in like guest presenters, workshoppers, whatever. And he couldn't figure out what the hell he was going to do or who he was going to hire. And so then for whatever reason, it crossed his mind like, oh, yeah, that print. I want to find that print and buy that. You know, it's like sitting on his lunch break or something. Like, how do you? So then, he, so then he goes to the website and he's like searches for the print, finds our website and is like and buying the print. Right. And on the website, uh, there's a little blurb that we do workshops. Now, the backstory for this is 
we've been doing lectures for a number of years at this point. Um, and it's somewhere in the early 2010s, we expanded that into workshops, which were primarily designed for like uh, students. It, we, you know, we were speaking at a lot of colleges and we would get colleges that would inquire about, you know, oh, you do this lecture. Could you do a workshop? Like, could you lecture on Friday night and then do a workshop for, you know, a dozen students on Saturday? And so we said yes to that. We started doing workshops, not unlike we were teaching our own college classes. It wasn't a big deal. But um, after some time, we started to feel like it wasn't really true to who we were because we, it, I mean, we were teaching things that anybody could teach. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad information. I mean, people loved it. We had a good time. We had good results. But it didn't feel like a true fulfillment of something unique to GFDA that nobody else could do. Okay. And so we stopped offering that workshop. And um, we spent like six months trying to figure out, well, if not that, then what are we going to do if we're going to offer workshops? And arrived at this idea that like the whole business has been centered around the idea of taking risks. You know, we don't know how to make the products before we say that we're selling them. We, we the name of the business, like all of this is around taking risks and creativity is inherently a risky business. It's risky to, for, for so many different reasons. And so, you know, at that point, like I wrote a, maybe a paragraph blurb and put it on the website. We offer this risk taking workshop with no fucking plans whatsoever, like how this is going to work or what's going to be in it. And so this was like two weeks before this guy from Nike like stumbled on our website. So, you know, I'm connecting yeah. multiple timelines here for, oh, yeah, I'm getting it. for all of your, your listeners who are uh, hopefully following this. Oh, trust me, they're following. And um, so, you know, he looks and he, you know, he reads this like three sentences and he's like, oh, cool. They do a workshop. So sends an email, get on the phone. And so then he's like asking me all these questions about the workshop and I'm like, well, you know, yeah, like lying, but not lying. Like, yeah, you know, we've been doing lots of workshops, uh, we've done tons, but, but, you know, I'm never not saying that we've never done this one. And so yeah. he says, well, what do you guys do? And like, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, but yeah, of course. I said, you know, well, well, tell me what you guys need. Tell me about what your needs are, what you're looking for, for this. And then he described what that was. And I said, oh, that's exactly what we do. <laughs> of course it's what we do. You tell me what you need. And then I will say, of course, that's what I do every right, so damn time. So that he was super excited about it. And of course, we had never we had never done a workshop like this before. We were always, you know, low budget sort of college university things. And so then it was like, well, how much are we going to charge? It's you nice. Know, like, what, like what? What are we going to? It's you know, it's like a multi billion dollar company. And so then there's this balance of like, okay, well, you <laughs> you want to make sure that you still get the client because if you charge too much, then you miss out on the opportunity to say like, yeah. we have Nike as a client. Right. But on the other hand, it's like, well, if you charge $500 and they would have paid $50,000, like, well, oh, then yeah. you like totally fucking sold yourself short. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it sort of uh, played that balancing act. And I definitely think in retrospect for, you know, what we charge now, we, we had undercharged, but it was still a substantial windfall for the time. And, you know, also then it kept us from going out of business because that was when we were starting to experience our first bouts of, uh, of debt. Yep. So, um, so yeah, we, we talked on the phone, uh, once he was super excited, bought my bullshit hook, line and sinker. And then we had like four weeks, we had four weeks to, to figure out what the hell we were going to do. So, um, Jason and I put together the first, uh, bubble gum duct tape workshop. Um, and it went really well. They, it was nowhere, nowhere near as sophisticated or as good as what we do now for sure. Mm -hmm. um, it, but it was definitely a good experiment and prototype. And you know, as far as they were concerned, it worked great because they brought us back and we worked with another team like six months later. Um, and so we, we back to back like workshops yeah. with Nike. 
And then part of the other reason when uh, Jason Richburg came on, the, the, the really the, the, the primary reason initially it was I brought him on was because I wanted help developing the workshops. And then like right after that occurred, then we got the book deal and, and then all of what he talked about with the writing. Um, but because of his background as an educator and he and I um, talked a lot about education when we were in graduate school and like how to approach teaching and we would sit in on each other's classes and sometimes participate um, as a, as a sort of like a team teaching kind of thing. And um, in a lot of instances, we would just watch like the, the different approach that each of us had mm -hmm. um, and sort of like would inform what we were doing, you know, in our own unique ways. Um, so I had brought him on to help develop this workshop and to make it more than um, sort of the surface level fun exercises that we had established, but to um, do what he does best and imbue it with a deep sense of meaning. Um, and so that sort of collaboration was, was really successful. And, and, you know, the way that GFDA has progressed forward has been a lot of that kind of uh, collaboration between he and I. I think, I think you have a lot of passion for the business, but I also think the passion isn't always enough when it's just one person, but it seems like when you got Jason and you guys started, you know, looking at these different um, workshops and things like that, it's not like you really lied to Nike because I think you guys had the capacity. I could picture Jason either being a professor or a preacher because he's able to, it's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. I think you've got a way about how you use your words and you've got a way about how you talk. And I think it's, it resonates with people profoundly. And I think all you had to do really at that point, I mean, four weeks is a, is a decent amount of time. It's not like they were like, Hey, you come to Nike next week. You know, you had a, you had some time. And when you have people like that right there that are already inherently hilarious, but also have that way about them and they can talk in front of people. I don't think you ever needed to worry as soon as you got that, but I love how well you sold it. Oh my God. I cannot tell you the amount of times you have to do that when you are starting out. Oh, for sure. For sure. So and I'll, I'll mention that Jason was supposed to be a preacher. If, if his family had their way, that's what he would have done. Jason, tell me everything. Well, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm, uh, um, well, before I get into that, I just want to let your listeners know that I am, this is not a joke. I am an ordained minister. So oh. if, um, if anybody needs a wedding or a funeral, I've done both and uh, we can work out a, a special discount code for the Brass and Unity followers. Well, you better but, watch um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I grew up in a fundamentally religious Southern Baptist, like, white wood slat little church in the middle of soybean fields oh, sort of environment. So, um, yeah, I don't uh, – Thanksgiving's real interesting. I'm a bit vague about what my professional life is, you know, but uh, – No, why would you be? It, you know, it, it, <laughs> It takes a it takes a, a lot of different ingredients to make a human being. Oh yes, sir, it does. I I, I see that right there. <laughs> you're <laughs> you. I don't even think you guys realize. You realize again. You're talking to a Canadian, correct? You know that, right? Okay. So you know that, and, and in saying that, when he comes out with these these tiny little analogies that you put at the end of every sentence, that you. I just love you guys so much. I'm sorry. We love you too, Kelsey. You're just, you bring so much light in the way you talk. And that's why I was like, oh, this guy could so be a preacher. And I'm, listen, I was born and raised Catholic. Like, went to like Catholic school, like went to church, like can recite things from the Bible. And then I became an adult. Um, 
and then I went to war and then shit just went down from there so now I'm just at this point where I just whatever is happening you guys do you and I'll just care to be nice and kind to everybody. And as long as I'm being nice and kind to everybody, karma will not bite me in the ass. I feel like that is the only thing I can do, right? Be nice, be kind. And, 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 and you know, my, my thing, my mom, you know, and I love that you brought up martial arts. So I'm going to get into that with you. Um, if you allow me to, yeah, yeah. um, I was a fighter my entire life. Uh, I'm a second degree black belt and national champion. And I used to fight internationally and I stopped. Who did, who did you train with? Uh, I'm from, um, well, I trained in back east in Ontario, and the reason I will not say his name is because um, when I was 12 years old, he went to, I, I gotta get this right, because I talked about this on a podcast before my mom called me after, and was like, he didn't go to prison, he went to jail, and I was there, and so basically my coach decided it would be cool to like have a sexual relationship with my trading partner who was 14 and he was 30. So, uh, um, okay. it's, oh, well, then it's nobody that I know. No, it's nobody that you know, but I don't know if you've heard about that. And that's in, in martial arts when you're like, you know, you know that you've, I've heard it. I've seen it. I know other grandmasters who end up marrying their students. It's a situation, but I was in yeah. it from like four years old when I hit 12, that happened. And then it just sent me like this. And then I started fighting again when I was in the military. Um, and then I fought, my last fight was in Vegas at the US Open. And I fought a girl from um, uh, Taipei. Mm -hmm. And I fought in a weight class above the weight class that I was at, which I shouldn't have fought in. I'm five foot, okay? Okay. Okay, I should be fighting in Finn. I should be fighting in 103 and below. I decided, I'm gonna take shit seriously and eat tacos. And then I, so I fought in the 108 and below. And this girl was so fucking tall. Honestly, her heads were, like there was clouds from about here. And we started the fight, I'm like, I'm gonna get my fucking ass handed to me. Cause there's no way I'm getting into that without getting kicked in the face on a multiple, like just bang, bang. And sure enough, I'm like, I'm doing everything I can. I'm moving, I'm moving, and I, it's the only time I'll boast. I had a, that was one thing I said I could do. When I say I could fight, I could fucking fight. I was good at that sport. That I have confidence in that and saying that. That being said, as soon as his arm went up, I got fucking right in the face, right in the nose, just like a pop, 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 and then like the fight was over before I even could yeah. do the first round. And so I stopped fighting then, and I realized I just, just don't like getting kicked in the face anymore. Yep. <laughs> I'm That's tired so of it. Would feel that way. I, I know yeah, it's I strange, right? Why would anybody feel that way about getting punched or kicked in the face? It should be an enjoyable moment. Have you not seen the UFC? Yeah, seriously. Oh God, what, so what, what martial arts, so you keep you referencing it. So what do you do? Uh, so I have been with my teacher. I study uh, a style of karate called Chito Ru Karate. Um, since you are up in Canada, um, that is probably very familiar to anybody in your audience who does or has done martial arts for a long time because the uh, father of Canadian karate is a gentleman named uh, Mas Soroka. Uh -huh. um, and he, uh, he passed away in 2013, but he was initially a Chitoru practitioner. 
Um, and then he ran the Soroka Do Karate and his uh, son, David, I believe now runs it. Um, but we have a good relationship with a, a number of uh, Canadians that are related to the Chitoru curriculum yeah. because it's, I mean, it, it was the first, it was the first karate style that was practiced in Canada and it was all over. Um, like, I think when he, I want to say he started teaching in the sixties, I'm not quite as oh, wow. versed in the history of that. Um, but I mean, he opened up his school, I think it was on Dundas and yeah, yeah, Dundas. Yeah, no, no, no. That's where uh, one of my Taekwondo training was uh, up in Toronto. It was right off Dundas. There's a lot of clubs, different martial arts along that. A ton of right, them. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, so anyway, so I've been with uh, with my teacher for almost 21 years now. Oh, wow. um, we have uh, as part of our uh, school, we're part of a, a national organization, but also locally, uh, my teacher's teacher school, which is about 45 minutes to an hour south of where I live. Um, he used to train at obviously my teacher a lot and I did as well. Mm -hmm. um, they have a jujitsu curriculum that goes back to the 1920s um, and is one of the oldest uh, schools, although the location has changed quite a bit. It's one of the oldest schools um, in the US, like oldest three, four, five. Um, it closed in, It's I think it opened in 27. It closed in the early 30s because of the depression and then it reopened in 1939 and like I said, the, the location has changed a number of times, but there has been continuous classes every week all the way up until COVID okay. uh, since 1939. Um, and oh, they're, nice. of course, back operating again at this point um, uh, with social distancing and whatever. How do you social distance in a martial arts class? Lots of solo training. Um, it's It's been like really frustrating. Yeah. Uh, you know, like forms practice or just general calisthenics yeah. okay. and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Fair it's, enough. you know, the community aspect has been really important lately, especially for us. Like we're basically doing parking lot karate outside. It was even now it's like, you know, freezing fucking cold and snowing and you know, we'll be, I'm training tonight, two hours outside. Okay. Outside. Yeah. Outside. If you, I want a video of this, please send me a video of you doing karate in the parking lot in the cold. That set, like, I, I feel like, Jason, you need to write a, um, a thing and it goes, go do fucking karate. And then you need to do uh, a blurb about it and just really describe him and it and his drive for martial arts, even during COVID. I feel like you guys should write a COVID version of this for like a pandemic. Um, well, can, can I be a part of it? Because I feel like there are so many things with the pandemic that you could write like a pandemic, do the fucking work for the next pandemic. Like, my God, the marketing, I just have this whole commercial set up in my head already. Sorry, I get really into things and I'm excited. Um, so you, you've been trading forever then. You really, really have. Yeah, yeah. So for 21 years, and then uh, the last couple years, uh, both my teacher and I have joined a, a Chinese uh, martial arts organization that have some really highly skilled practitioners, and um, we've been we've been training with them in addition to our uh, karate and jujitsu background. Um, so, so yeah, that's uh, it. Is what has sustained me for 21 years among you know like certainly business ups and downs deaths of yeah. friends, family, you know, like, uh, good times, bad times, all of that. And, uh, if I, it's stress of school, stress of work. And without that, I would not, I couldn't cope with everything else going on. It's, it's the centering place for me. Well, and, and then, so Jason, what do you do for that? 
Do you do karate? Um, in the yeah, so when we were when we were in grad school, Brian taught me uh, officially in a dojo for uh, about two years, and then when I moved to Pittsburgh, I trained at his teacher's dojo for a while, and then Brian also practices um, Chinese martial arts, uh, Tai Chi, and oh. um, Baguans, and uh, what's the other one, Brian? I can't the think. Sing and Tong Bay. Oh, so what you're saying is you're an overachiever? God damn it, you people! I'm just, I'm just I don't know, overachiever, just obsessive, uh, compulsive might be the, the thing. And um, as my professor says, um, it's OC, not D. So the, the D is the disorder. That's the problem. You can be obsessive compulsive and be fine. See, I like that. See, I can be obsessive compulsive. It's not weird anymore. I just don't have to say the D word. Get it? D word. <laughs> if, if there's something that involves um, the imminent threat of physical harm or strangulation, Brian's like super into it. So, um, so anyway, I, I trained with him a little bit with the Tai Chi up in Pittsburgh as well, but I, I didn't, I didn't really develop a whole lot of skills, but I did certainly learn a tremendous amount about, um, the spirit of warriorship and the, um, type of like personal responsibility and discipline that comes from, um, martial arts. I have to say that, you know, Brian's an excellent teacher as a graphic designer, but also as a martial arts teacher. So it was really good to be able to make really profound lessons come out of that. Seems like those lessons translated. Um, I mean, I'm interested to see the type of uh, stuff you guys are gonna have coming out in terms of, um, would you guys ever do another book? Oh yeah. Hopefully. The yeah. Point we, are, uh, we are, we have. Oh, we are in talks. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, we, where are we at? We, we made a big push earlier in the year um, after COVID and before we did this sort of business restructuring that yeah. uh, I was talking about um, that started kind of like May, June-ish. Um, so we have a proposal that to put together for a follow-up book that's like uh, probably like 80, 90% complete. Like the written portion is, is pretty well uh, established and then um, some tweaks that need to be made there. And then, um, you know, they, they need like page samples and, yeah. and writing samples to go with it. It would be... Theoretically, we'll see how it continues to develop, but it would be similar to the existing book. Um, it would not have uh, as as much or maybe any information about us in it necessarily. It would be much more about um, the advice and the reader, and it would be a little bit more reflective of the content that's in our social now versus the book. There's they're they're obviously very very similar um, since especially since Jason wrote both of them, but there's been a a maturation of his writing and a development as we understand our audience better and what really resonates with people since the book came out. And so um, as much as we're completely thrilled with like the quality of the book and the printing and the writing and all yeah. that stuff, but like, it's, it's definitely like, okay, well that phase is over with. Like we need, we need to like get to like the next, you mm -hmm. know, how we are more now than we were like, because essentially that writing I would say reflects more of the ethos of GFDA like two years ago versus right now, which isn't a bad thing, but it just, you know, that's how things go. You can't, you can't, you're not stuck in time. You have to keep moving forward. Yeah. And, and nobody expects you to keep that exact ethos into the way you do. I mean, if you stop swearing, I don't know about our friendships, but we will do our best to mold those and continue those. I just, I, I'd like to see, I would love to see more and more books from you guys. I think they hold true to not only looking really, really nice, like as a table book and a conversation piece, which is, I think, you know, part of the way that it's done. I think it's lends it what really self lends itself really well to, um, but also just that having, giving that book to someone 
when they're starting a journey, when they're starting an entrepreneurial journey, when they're, they're making a change or they're looking like they're going through something. I think your book lends itself really well to so many different viewers. And I think that's why HarperCollins was smart enough to realize that instead of being like probably a lot of other publishers going, well, there's the word fuck in the title. So that's an immediate off the pile kind of situation. Um, I'm stoked for another book. When, when are you guys hoping the next couple of years? Or are you talking later? Or? Um, I, sooner rather than my later, is, for sure. Go my ahead, hope Jason. Is tomorrow. I don't, my <laughs> hope is tomorrow. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Well, listen, we got to talk about your expectations, Jason. I feel like you are just holding the bar a little high. And, um, you know, we can talk in the office after. But I just think that you need to reevaluate how your standards are met. I just, you know, it's just what. Well, I'm, 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 I turned 40 years old this year and, uh, this has been an impediment to every aspect of my life in those 40 years. So if you can cure it in an office talk, I am a hundred percent on board. Trust. I have done 10 years of treatment and therapy to get this even allowed outside. I will help your shit. My friend, I'm always here. I may not be the most well educated i'm sorry i don't have degrees in fancy schools to talk about i tried but i am not the type that goes to school and sits in a classroom i tried real hard i didn't have professors as cool as you but i guess that comes with the you know not being in the schooling system like you guys have um try we try really hard up here to you know not put people in debt for like their whole life we, we go for like the first 40 but then we try to like you know, cut that off. So our schooling quality might not be ideal, but you know, I, if there's ever anything that I can ever do to help be a benefit or, you know, positive light in any way and get your mind off some negative shit. And the fact that you have a very, very irrational idea of a timeline, Jason. Um, but it sounds like, that sounds like me though. I, I'm that person too. And I, I almost feel like I need a Brian. I have a tally that's like that, that kind of, she's the president of my company and she kind of reiterates the fact that shit doesn't happen the way I want it to happen in the timeline I need it to happen because I want it now. But I guess that comes with, um, you know, learning how to run companies and learning how to, you know, the ins and outs of everything. Um, it's about having a good partnership and a good team, uh, teamwork ethic. And obviously you guys have that. Do either of you have kids? Nope. None. Brian will probably, Brian's probably going to win that race. He'll, he'll be married in the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, I can see that because the reason I say that is, sorry, my our uh, office our office pup is going bananas outside. Um, so we, I have a four year old, and he's a menace. And there's something I tell him on a regular basis, and it's the same thing I tell my mother told me, and I and I hold this true, and I think this is the type of people you are gonna be parents as, and it's the there's no can't in the dictionary, so you might as well grab that and cut that shit right out, and then you give him the dictionary. That's what I got told. And then also, uh, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. And I tell him that every day. And you know, when it comes time to clean up, his mommy teamwork makes the dream work. You gotta, we gotta do it together. And you two have a team. Like you guys, you guys balance each other in such a really, really cool and unique way. But also you have this, this way about you guys and your demeanor. And I think uh, not only will this episode and, uh, future episodes 
resonate with our listeners and our and our I was gonna say our watchers, Coleman, like I'm a fucking psycho, and our viewers, <laughs> our watchers. Um, you know, I I think they're gonna just want more and more and more of you guys, and I think the you know the bigger you get, the more known you get. You guys are watch watch what happens because I'm telling you, mark my words, you guys are going to be. Your your post your original posters are going to be worth some insane amount of money because the, the way that you guys are and the business that you guys have built and the the effort you guys put into your life and the initiative you take every time you take a step into the day is is really going to continue to resonate and I think it's going to um I think it's going to really mean a lot you know as you guys go because you guys have left a mark in a in a really unique unique way and yes at the beginning maybe it was to get some attention but. Now you have become the voice of the people and you have made it almost, well, you've made a big part of, you know, being able to swear in the workplace and uh, being able to express the true emotions of a situation in a workplace, not weird and, and totally okay. And I think for me personally, that's the way I run my company. And I mean, it's a lawsuit waiting to happen, but I think the way you guys do it, you do it right, you do it well, and you are an example for everybody who is an entrepreneur out there. And I'm just really, really grateful for this opportunity. And I, I could sit here and talk for hours and hours. I truly could with you, but I know you I value your time very much. So I won't keep you guys any longer. But Jason and Brian, is there anything that I've missed that's coming up that you would love to talk about any of it? Um, I can't. Uh, go ahead, Brian. Oh, no, I was waiting for you to say something smart uh, like usual. Okay, well, I'll probably fail at that. But, um, uh, well, first of all, I would like to say um, thank you for those kind words, Kelsey. That's very humbling. And um, we're, you know, we're grateful for everybody that it gives us a little piece of their time, whether it's on Instagram or reading our book or whatever. You know, that's something that's, that's meaningful. They don't have to do that, and they choose to do that with us, and we really appreciate all of it but we particularly appreciate your invitation to come on your show. And, um, you know, you've been very, very complimentary and you've shown confidence in our future and that's a wonderful gift. So thank you very much for that. Um, we don't, we don't have, um, we don't really have something to plug right now so much as a, as a, a new product or something, but we would um, certainly invite all of your listeners to uh, follow us on Instagram. Uh, will you have some sort of card or, um, a link or something like that you can throw in oh, yeah. with your um okay excellent um and hopefully everybody buys multiple copies of our book you know um yeah, everybody know needs they, at least three yeah, I, I have four have. <laughs> that's a good that's a good start on a solid collection um i don't know if uh, they celebrate mother's day in canada but you Excuse know, me. it'll make a great gift it makes the best mother's gift and mother-in-law gift Oh, oh yeah. Three copies for mother-in-law. Yeah. 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 We, we advise at least three copies because you keep one at home and one at work and then you have one in the car for when you're going back and forth to work. So, um, yeah. So follow us, buy our book, uh, hire us to do, um, you know, branding and, and advertising work and buy, buy our shit on the internet. We would, we would be eternally grateful. Yeah. And, uh, I will, I will plug, uh, our newsletter, um, so please sign up for that. You can do that at our website, gfda.co. Um, we send advice out daily, or if you want, you can select weekly. If you don't want to hear from us all the time, it's fine. I get it, I but you should it. get it daily. 
Should. Um, you should. You should. Absolutely. Um, and also through the newsletter, we, we do the advice daily. That's our, that's like our gift to you. It's the free content. Um, obviously we plug our products through that as well. And we also, um, have some more long form writing that, uh, Jason does. And at some point in the future, I will probably do as well, uh, more on the practical business side of things, um, that comes through that, that you can't get anywhere else. So that is a, uh, a good place to, to find us and follow us. I love yes, it. St stick with us because we're in, we're making some big changes right now. So um, get in, get in now because we're going to be putting out a lot more content as we get into next year. Yeah, absolutely. We will. And we'll continue to plug you guys. We'll continue to talk about you guys. I think I, I talk about you to random strangers. It's a problem. I don't, I'm okay with admitting it. I don't it. think it's a problem. Well, it's not a problem for your pocketbook, but it's a problem when I'm like, <laughs> I need to, you know what? You don't want to buy it. You know what? Don't worry about it. I'll just lend you. No, I'm not going to lend you a copy. Let me just go buy you a copy because I know I'm not going to get mine back. And so I'm just going to, once you get it, and then you're going to want to rip the pages out and then you want to frame something. You need to get your own book. So then I end up buying them. So it's only a problem for me, not for anybody else. It's whatever. I don't want to talk about Fair it. Enough. Leave me alone, okay? You guys make me feel horrible about purchasing things. Listen, I'm, I'm internally grateful and um, I'm I really enjoyed this episode and uh, I can't wait to have you guys on again. Thanks so much. We had a great time. Can't wait to come back. On this episode of this week's podcast, we are featuring the Pat Tillman Foundation as our resource of the week. They provide academic scholarships and professional development and a nationwide network to their veterans and uh, those that use their scholar community. Um, the Pat Tillman Foundation has been funding scholarships for years now, and they do nothing but incredible work and have, I believe, over 500 plus scholars that have graduated their programs and transitioned into civilian life. Um, they are a great foundation and are supported by so many, but could always be there for you if you need resources. So please do, if you are looking to educate yourself again and reintegrate into society, definitely reach out to the Pat Tillman Foundation .org and they can uh, hopefully help you guys out with that. And we'll see you all next week.